here we go. The world, the world of Zoom. <laughs> exactly. You can stay if you want. I'll like close to it. All right. Let me uh, pull up my notes here. All right. Um, Hadley looks like we are recording. And I'll get started. Welcome to a Wiser Retirement Podcast. We believe the best financial advice should always be conflict-free. I'm your host, Casey Smith. And with me today is my co-host, Brad Lyons. We're also excited to um, uh, have a very special guest today, James Hughes, Jr., author of Family Wealth, Keeping It in the Family. Uh, well, today's topic is focused on talking about generational wealth and how to uh, preserve it. Mr. Hughes, welcome to the Wiser Retirement Podcast. We're so excited to have you today. Well, I'm delighted to be here, and you're incredibly kind to invite me. Thank you. So, um, you know, we, I just made it a requirement at our firm to read your book. So everyone has gone through it. Even our new adv newest advisor to our group, Michaela, is working on a blog piece uh, talking about uh, how to uh, create a covenant for your family to pass on, uh, to help with passing on generational wealth. Um, obviously, our as passion as a firm is to help people find uh, financial success. Uh, this, you know, often leads to working with people that are not necessarily passing hundreds of millions of dollars on to the next generation, not, maybe not even tens of millions of dollars, but for the millionaire, millionaire next door, um, whose assets are going to pass fairly straightforward uh, tax-wise in this environment. Uh, from your book, you, know, you talk about a covenant and, and using this covenant because you know, the problem we have is with businesses going on the next generation of wealth. I, I read actually, I don't know if you mentioned this in your book, but 70% of wealth is generally destroyed after the first year, 90% by the third year. And so can you talk a little bit about how does a covenant help everyday next millionaires next door? Well, uh, Casey and Brad, let me say, first of all, that the conversation today will be qualitative and not quantitative. I have every confidence uh, that Wiser Wealth Management is doing everything right uh, in helping people manage their financial capital. Where the problems lie in this field are qualitative problems, not quantitative. If they were quantitative, they'd be easy to solve. If they are qualitative, they then ask about human behavior and right away they become difficult to solve. Mm -hmm. The first thing I'd like to say to our audience today is that if they take nothing away from our conversation today, if they can consciously change their brain patterns, consciously, so that when they hear the word wealth, they only hear well-being and nothing else. They bring well-being to their left front cortex and act accordingly. <clears throat> they will qualitatively be on the path that the two of you can best help them. The word wealth is an Anglo-Saxon word. It comes from two Anglo-Saxon words, we all, W-E-O-L. The word still exists in its appropriate meaning, well-being, when we speak of common weal and common wealth. So let me say first, that's the most important thing I can share with our listeners today. If they see their wealth as well-being of themselves and their families, they will be on the journey of planning that leads to the flourishing that they're seeking. The second thing I would say to them in thinking about this is, that 
capital, as it is understood in a family, is regardless of its financial capital means, the core question is, what is the condition of its spiritual capital and its purpose? I would suggest raising all the individual boats as a good purpose to start with. Mm-hmm. What's its social capital? Can I make good decisions together? Hmm. That's really important and really difficult. And by the way, one of the reasons that the numbers and the families fall apart very quickly is because they can't make good joint decisions. That's a okay. lot harder than it sounds. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, in, and, in your book, you talk about, you know, we, we think so much, carpart, we, we think compartmentalized, like, okay, I have one sister, so I'm taking care of me and my family. My sister runs a company too. They build beautiful homes in, in Hilton Head, South Carolina, and, yep. and, and they're doing very well, but we didn't do well together. Does that make sense? We don't make joint decisions yes. together. Yes. So right. how do you how do you mold that to be thinking about that that next generation? Like what's, sure. what's different about it? Well, I think that the question I would ask you, and I'm not being intrusive here, sure. is how are you doing as an uncle? And how is she doing as an aunt? And if, are, your, are your parents still alive? Yes. Yes. Well, how are they doing as grandparents of the first generation of the of the first cousins? The it's a system. Mm-hmm. It's a system, isn't it? Yeah, That's what we're talking about. That's the qualitative family journey. It, the question of sharing of financial capital is really, in my opinion, the least important of all. The question is whether you have a common purpose to raise all the in- human boats. Do you have an intellectual interest in sharing what you're learning? Right. Are you, so, can you make decisions about those things? Ah, you see? Yeah. So, so then it comes down to, you know, in your book, you talk about, um, obviously, uh, I love the charity portion of, of uh, uh, the, the grandparents working with the yes. uh, uh, grandkids. I think that's awesome. Right. Especially donor advised funds almost, almost makes it turnkey. But uh, right. they do. Think, thinking, about, thinking about that in terms like, Okay, so I have three children. She has four, and I, and and let's say that that uh, Brad and I were talking about this offline earlier. But let, let's say that six are, are successful or successful enough, right? They're they're on their own. They're building long term wealth. Uh, but then there's the one that has an issue, and and then so really, if you think about the family unit, it's the family's unit to help support and and get that person need, as opposed to just being that one family unit, meaning. It's yes. aunts and uncles and grandparents, everyone saying, okay, we got to raise this boat. This boat's not floating yes. with the other boats. Yes, that's exactly right. Because if that boat starts to sink, the capital that it represents, the spiritual, social, intellectual, and human capital it represents, is going to be almost impossible to replace. But think of the cost, I'm being very financial for a moment, in that person's diminishment. Yeah. What does oh, it cost? Oh my God, it's infinitely expensive. Sure, alcohol. Where, all yes, that. yes. Whereas if that human being is a goal to have that boat rise, and the interesting thing about that is that person's vocation, and I'm not going to jump away, let's stay right where we are. One of the wisest people of all time, Sigmund Freud said, the two great things for a human to have a happy life is to learn to love, not love, learn to love, and learn to work as vocation. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. not labore, not labor, but vocally. So let's just say for that moment that that person's lifetime in this lifetime has nothing to do with financial capital at all. Oh, yeah, absolutely. but, But has everything to do with a vocation that might not be what the family would have much chosen, much less sought to discover. And, and oh. I would think that things like that would be brought out in this idea of a, a family covenant. Now, now we're not attorneys. You spent your career, your vocation in the law. Yes. And as you've worked with families, you have, you know, processes and even documents as resources that are brought to bear to transfer an estate from one generation to another. And that's, we'll put with the quantitative aspect. But in the qualitative aspect of what you did, and continue to do it working with families is really in this idea of creating a covenant amongst themselves that recognizes the dynamic of the family itself. Are there ways that you would recommend that families approach this? Are there resources available to families or to attorneys and law firms? Are, they, are you seeing a movement in this direction? We're not just supplying the will and the, the trusts and everything else, but a template, if you will, for creating a covenant amongst family members? Uh, Brad, this is a wonderful question we're going to wander into. I love stories. I'm, I can tell the two of you do too. One of the genesis stories of America is where I teach people to think about this, or I ask them to come with me. What's the genesis story I'm thinking? Well, imagine a group of religious fundamentalists who had been shunned by the country they were living in, England, and had to go to Holland because they were going to be persecuted. So they went to Holland. And they were there for a while, but even there, which was the most liberal country in the world, they were still uncomfortable. So they got on a ship, men, women, and children, not just men, men, women, children, got on a ship, and they headed for Virginia. But they didn't end up in Virginia. And it was very late in the season, and the hurricane season was coming. And they ended up off the coast of what became Massachusetts. Nobody to that point have ever heard about Massachusetts. Virginia, yes, that was about 10 years before. Nobody knew about Massachusetts. Indians were living there. Native Americans was their home. And most of them had died, unfortunately, because of diseases. So they stopped the ship because they couldn't go any further. They didn't know where they were. But they couldn't go any further because it was going to be winter and it's too dangerous. So what happened? Well, a couple of men got off the ship in a little rowboat with a sail and went on the land. And they got on the land and they walked around. They looked around. There was fresh water. Uh, there that was, seemed to be certainly mild area. They thought they could live there. Okay. So they came back to the ship. Now, let's remember, these people had been on the ship a couple of months. Tiny ship. Horrible conditions. So would you imagine that the first thing they would have done is to get off the ship as fast as they could, go to the land? They didn't. They were way too smart. They sat down together and said, none of us knows what it's going to be like on that land. Not one of us. So what should we do? So they had a conversation as a family. And they said, we need to have a covenant or a compact. They called it a compact, covenant's fine about how it will be when we get there. And what are the promises we'll make? So the covenant of the Mayflower Compact, our Genesis story, one of them, is 
we agree to help each other no matter what. Then they got off the ship. They knew they had a common journey and every one of them was dependent indirectly, or but they didn't just say that. They wrote it down and they signed it. Now, I want the ladies to understand the ladies didn't sign it. I apologize for that, but that was the time. But the ladies were present in all the conversations. That's a covenant of a family. Because you can't know what it's going to be like when you start the journey together. You can't know. It's not given to you to know. All you can know is that you will give up freedom to gain freedom by saying, I will help you. I promise you. I hope you'll help me. Great families, my new friends, begin their journeys without awareness. It's so important to us individually that we'll give up freedom to gain freedom. We'll agree to help each other. That's what we're doing today for our audience. We're in a compact today. That's why you invited me. Well, this has nothing to do with the size of one's financial capital. It has everything to do with one's aspiration. What is one's priority? If a flourishing family is one's priority, that's, and that's one's aspiration, then you have a covenant that says so. And you get on with living inside that promise. That's what we're talking about. By the way, that's qualitative planning mm-hmm. as opposed to quantitative planning. Yeah, and, and that, 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 that's, that's a, a process idea. that 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 uh, I think can be difficult to go through. You definitely have to build. You definitely have to build um, a team, which we'll talk about that here in, in a minute. But when you when you go through that process, I maybe, maybe it's just the business owner in me. You know, you have to have a an agreement. It's got to be notarized and signed and. <laughs> <laughs> but but you also in your book you talk about storytelling too. So so what you just told was a story. And so if you're the person who got off that ship and then 20 generations later you're still still telling the story of this covenant of how this came off, right? All the way through, which we actually talked about in our last podcast and I told all of our listeners I said that the importance of passing on your family legacy is so important that if anyone wants to come borrow my podcast equipment to record your story Mm-hmm. And we can put it in the cloud where you own it. We we don't have to be in the yep. room. Come on down. Yep. Yes. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes. And that's how human beings do it. We get yeah. together and we decide what is our aspiration. Now, something has to inspire us, yes? We have to think well, it's worthy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think I think with my own children, I think. I think, okay, how do I allow them to go and experience things? They're still very young. They're, they're you know, 16, 14, and 10. Yep. But, but how do I let them experience things to the fullest and, and go and achieve uh, whatever they can go achieve? And unfortunately for me, they, they chose horses, golf, and, and baseball is the cheapest so far. Oh. But, but they're, they're on their path and they're excelling very well. And I'm very right. proud of them. It, there's, but there's sacrifice for that. There's, there's, I mean, it's not just resources, but it's time. Time is a resource, but it's, uh, you know. my friend, my <laughs> friend, the key to the perspiration that follows the inspiration, and the aspiration. Perspiration is how something happens. The key to it is whether or not the priority of the aspiration leads to doing it or just talking about it. 
Yes. That is the core to anything anybody wants to do. And you test. Don't look at what I say. Look at what I do. Yeah. And, 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 and you know, the, and, but to go back to the hierarchy of kind of this covenant, yes. and how this works, you know, you, you made a very important uh, points in your book that it's not grandpa and grandma standing uh, from the mountaintop uh, with their scepters pounding the ground going, you will do it this way. We're not running. No. It's not the queen's family. <laughs> it's, <No>. it's, <laughs> it's very, it's very much where they become, they roll into more of mentors, but it's really more that second that next generation down, that's more of the managers and, yes. and, and they're right. working on, on adding capital. They're working on uh, the day to day, but then the next generation coming up is being mentored in that, in that process by the older generation. So it, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, very biblical, actually. Um, if you, if you look at it th through that lens um, of, of, of the process, uh, but it's, it's, it's um, it also, it also seems to me to be a living document that absolutely is, yes and something we don't we used to have in the south all the time is family reunions i haven't right. been at family reunion in i don't know how long <laughs> so but it's sort of like that right i mean you probably you're coming together over you know at least major holidays you're all together yes. and you're, and you're yes. saying let's let's review this cover or let's tell stories or what you you're making it an important point to say we're a family unit he's like i, I told my kids when they were little they're we're smiths and we work hard we work hard. That's what we do. We work hard. <laughs> well, these are our, our oral histories in our families. Yes. That, you know, and, and, and they're only yours. That's right. They're unique to the family unit. Yeah. And, and they're only as good as they're told. Uh, yes. Yes. The repetition is critical. One of the things that I teach, Brad, to pick up on, on that oral history, that I love, and we do it in my family every few years, is when we are together, or whatever the event is, or enough of us are, we choose a time after usually a good meal, but not too much alcohol, but hopefully, but some, not too much. And we do something that you will love, thinking about oral history. We ask the youngest person in the room, tell us about the oldest person that you knew and what he or she told you about someone older. We go all around the table, all the way to the eldest person, um, telling, do, telling those stories. Now, two things are incredibly important for family in that exercise. First, you tell the stories. So you're bringing into the room all those people that are being told about. Oh, is that a powerful. And the other thing about it that's amazing is for the married ends, they get to tell about people nobody knows. So instead of it being one stream of stories, you're doing what your family actually is. You're, marry, you're marrying all the streams yeah. into what is actually your river. Yeah. Oh, my goodness, is that powerful. And that so, grows these capitals we're talking. And yeah, there's so, no money. I'm about to say, we haven't even talked about money yet, and we don't even really need to because that's something we're trying to get across this, this quarter in our podcast is legacy planning is, is, not, um, is not your traditional estate planning. You need, you need tax returns or tax planning done. You have that. You have the attorneys who, who have templates for all this stuff. And it sounds like the template uh, 
uh, that you're talking about is is really just e- it's unique to each family and 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 what's important to them and 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 passing things on. I mean, quite honestly, um, I have clients who have th- that are pole climbers at that a local utility, and they have passed on uh, tremendous work ethic to the point where. <laughs> Uh, the next generation is working hard, has great families, well-adjusted kids, uh, great, just great people. Uh, and then I, we, you know, we've worked with clients um, also that 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 passed on uh, tens of millions of dollars, and the fa- the family's a wreck. So, so legacy planning is is kind of taking the business side and and then this covenant side and moving it together to talk about okay, how this is who we are as a family, and this is the direction we want to go in. And this is our mission, our family yes. mission. Yes. And Casey, let me pick that theme up and take it a little further this way. Word, the, the two words that emerge in the legacy planning are uh, in the common parlance are some kind of estate planning, that, that term. Yeah. What matters tremendously in the outcome is whether the word before the word estate is quantitative or qualitative. Words matter enormously. If the plan is a qualitative plan, it actually enables the people in the plan to play the roles that the plan creates for them, which have never existed before, by the way. Right. If it's a quantitative plan, it deals with the taxes and the creditors. And here's something that will fascinate your audience. doesn't matter how much financial capital they have. No plan comes with it with scripts. The lawyer writes the plan, the banker executes the plan, you guys, mm-hmm. and that deals with taxes and creditors. Right. Okay. And a dead person. <laughs> the problem is the plan requires human beings to actually live in that plan, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And guess what? There are no scripts. Correct. There's a plan that looks like it's an author, but it, it, it wasn't because the characters in the play don't know how to play the play. Right. Because there were no scripts. Right. The, the Achilles heel of almost every plan I've ever seen is if it's a quantitative plan, it has no scripts. If it's a qualitative plan, somebody is thinking about whether the people were being put into a play. It's a new play. The play never was written before. Can they live in that plan? Can they play the parts that the plan names for them? That's a really seriously thoughtful question. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So shifting gears a bit, has there been a disaster that you could think of, a family plan disaster that that you think could have been easily solved through proper legacy planning? Well, you've, you mentioned this question before we uh, joined in today. <clears throat> I'm going to answer it in a rather odd way. Um, the Rockefeller family, which I've written about and is in this book that you mentioned, so if people want to understand the Rockefeller, what is their special sauce? The special sauce of the Rockefeller family is that when John D. Rockefeller, the eldest member, the first one who founded the Standard Oil Company, was in a conversation, a series of conversations with his son who had the name John D. Rockefeller Jr. And there were three sisters. Okay. The interesting thing about the conversation between the father and the son 
was that the father retired. Most people don't know. Rockefeller Sr. lived to be in his 90s and retired at 50. And his son, the only son, that was the way the world was at the beginning of the 20th century, late 19th century, um, had to go on all the boards. Didn't have any choice. And play all the roles in the businesses. So the father and the son got into a series of conversations. I'm going to make them one, but it was a series of conversations in which finally the father, the son said to his father, dad, I want to leave the family business. Now, that set conversation is common. And almost always the father says to the son, you can't. You have to live my dream. Sorry, don't have that option, right? Right. And now things begin to fall apart. Edsel Ford would be a good example of a man who was this big until he was this big and died, living in his father's unwillingness to have him do it. But in fact, the Rockefeller story is different. Old man Rockefeller said to his son, well, what do you want to do? Oh, that's a great question. And the son said, well, dad, I would like to uh, leave the family business, grow a great family, and do philanthropy. His father said, well, then you must do that. Because that's what I did. Why wouldn't you do that? You feel the liberation in that story? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And then the father said something extraordinary. He said, but I'm not doing my philanthropy very well. Would you help me? <laughs> oh, can you feel that energy? Yeah. Now, now that to be a Rockefeller today, fourth, sixth, seventh, and eighth generation, not too bad. Nobody knows about Standard Oil anymore, but they all know about the Rockefeller philanthropies. So when they go to Yellowstone Park, they drive to the Rockefellers who saved Jenny Lake, and, or they go to New York City and they drive up and they see the Palisades or whatever it may be. They go all over America and they just run right into that story between the father and the son. So that's a powerfully positive story that would almost certainly have foundered in the second generation. If all the father said is you don't have that choice, you got to stay in the business. Right. Isn't that remarkable? That is. That is. Yeah. But this is the reason the stories of success are so infrequent, sadly. And the stories of failure and entropy and the family falling apart are legion. Is because the older generation fails to become elders and just becomes olders. Mm. And the family founders on the fact that the only dream that matters is the dream of that old person. What Rockefeller was saying to his son is, we need new dreams. And which I'll goes, help you with yours. Which goes back to uh, uh, create, the, create a, the next generation has to act like the first generation. You bet. Which is <laughs> all about dreams. You see, one of the funny things about this field is that by the time people begin to ask families good questions. Very often the founder's dream, that's all it was, has turned into financial capital and it looks like it's all about the financial capital. But it isn't, it's just the consequence of a dream. If you go back to the beginning, you find a man or a woman, maybe with a, an interest in each other and also with a dream. Mm -hmm. And everybody forgets that all that family is, is the outcome of a dream that manifests. Well, when you lose sight of that, then when the rising generations come along, everybody's looking at the money, not at whether they have dreams. 
So right. they forget they forget the Genesis story. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I wonder if there are resources that families can can draw upon, like at Wiser Wealth, we're a fee-only financial planning firm. That's and we true. talk to people about living to and through retirement and, and, and afterwards. Um, I think quite often, historically in the financial services business at least, the most thought of person in estate planning is either the, the attorney or the life insurance agent. You know, and life insurance agents often, you know, have this conversation, but I think often they're more of a, a talking about a cash infusion at, at a point in time, you know, rather than what happens afterwards. So that's all in good and fine and important, especially with younger families and a tragedy strikes. But when we're talking about legacy planning, where the older generation is around for a significant number of years, how do you bring in a team and structure a team if, if you think it's necessary, if you don't have that capability within yourself, you know, to, to, to create a structure or legacy? Are there, what sort of team members do you think should be there and that can help, you know, a family who's about to transition or is planning on a transition? Well, it's a bit trite to say that lawyers and accountants and men like the two of you make up that team. Uh, it's not trite, actually. It's because there are different skills that come to bear. Right. What I'm going to say to you is something that, at, with the wisdom of your age, I won't guess your age, but the wisdom of your age, and my guess of where you are in your stage of your own life, the most important thing is that the people are not experts. By what do I mean by that? That is that they leave their egos at the door. The lawyer, the accountant, and the, and the insurance person, the investment people, in a world today that is based on, on one's uh, profession in a certain sense, and one making more and more uh, income in profession by expertise, the problem of expertise is it clouds an ego mention arises, doesn't it? Yes. We become caught on our own uh, expertises and our own egos. Because every family is unique. Tolstoy said that. He said something else. He says that all families that do well, you can't find. All that fail, do it uniquely. He's absolutely right. So if one starts from the premise, well, I want to try to help this family flourish and not fail, not be uniquely then my ego's got to be left at the door. So I'm looking for a lawyer whose, whose interest is not in the document and the taxes, but whether the plan will have scripts for the people to live their parts. If I'm looking for an accountant to come and do values and various kinds of things, can he look at it as a living organism rather than some dead balance sheet? oh, that's a lot more complicated. Uh, can I find men like the two of you that are already reading? When, you, when you're already reading my new friend, Brad, your ego's been left at the door. You're interested, you're curious, you're not stuck on your ego and your expertise. I'm not talking around this. I'm talking about it very seriously. Absolutely. The team, the team that forms have to be people who can leave their egos at the door and say, well, what is the actual problem of these clients? 
not the 10 other clients I had. That helps me form ideas. But what's their problem? Who are they as a community? Are they a family anymore or not? Are they just a bunch of legatees? Who are they? What are they aspiring to? Can I figure out what their aspiration is, not mine, to get the taxes and creditors right? It's where you start. So one is looking for teammates to you, the two of you and your clients who are curious about the condition of the particular people they're planning for, not seeing them as simply an income stream. Not seeing them as I can run my word processor and get this one done in two weeks. Which doesn't mean the documents aren't fine, but they can't meet the uniqueness of that capacity of that family to live in that plant. They can't. So really what I'm saying to you is the two of you as wise men, or we wouldn't be in this conversation. That's the wonder of curiosity. You, you were curious about me. I'm curious about you we're still not overwhelmed by our egos. Our curiosity is still running our lives. Well, that means that when the family comes and the time for the plan, we'll be curious about them. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. It does. Now, it, let it, me it, say uh, one, mother, one more thing. And uh, Sorry. Let me cut. Um, a positive psychologist, not a negative psychologist. Now, what am I saying? I'm going to add this because I, I really want people to hear this. Psychologists who are interested in systems working successfully, systems, not individuals, are also wonderful members of a team. Because a family has to be two or more people. And by the way, there's never been one name, family with one name. So if you're doing a plan, you're working with a particular family, get two names up on top. <laughs> right. You can have a single person household. You can't have a single person family. Got to be two. Well, you say, but that's so simple. I can't tell you how often you get the people in the plan get wrong footed. Right. One name, one voice, plans dead on arrival. Make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So a psychologist or a business person who has systems in mind, because two or more people is a system, they yeah. can help a lot. That's um, uh, something that we've really focused on over over a decade now has been, you know, asset management is fairly straightforward. Uh, robots do it now, right? Uh, really, <laughs> what, it, yes. what it comes down to is is the financial planning process. And, 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 and typically, um, when we start off with a new relationship, we start off with a series of questions. What are, what, what are your aspirations? What are your goals? What are your, what are things you're trying to achieve? And, and then, and then you get the, you get the typical, you know, household answers and you have to keep drilling down and that's part of the process. And even, even then sometimes three years into relationship, you truly get the real goals. to come Oh, out. yes, that is so, correct. That is correct. <laughs> it's, it's not a one and done thing. It's, it's a every, you know, every, every year, at least you got to have those goals discussions again. And, and your, your, um, your book has, I think, added value to that process for us. And thank you for writing it. And, um, uh, going into this conversation. I did have one last question. I noticed in your bio that you created a foundation. I, I believe it was maybe even last year. Can you tell us a little bit about the foundation and what kind of work you're doing? Yes. Well, 
I didn't create it. I found myself in a room in North Carolina um, at a place called High Hampton that you may know. I do. Um, I, and, have, I have a home just down from there. Uh, beautiful okay. area. Well, okay. So I'm sitting there looking forward to having my cocktail and my dinner when a very thoughtful guy says, look at this screen. And I was paying him to look at the screen. I discovered that seven or eight people that I care tremendously about completely and totally um, unknown to me had created a foundation in my name. So the first thing I was about to say immediately as a good wasp was get my name off it as fast as possible. And the guy who was the master of ceremonies said, the one thing you can't say is you're taking your name off of it. So he knows me pretty damn well. Excuse me, I'm sorry, talking Southern audience. I shouldn't be. And then I said, and then I said, to him, right, and then I said to him, well, I'm not, I'm about to, I'm not. And he said, and the other thing you can't say is you're not worthy of it. I said, oh, come on. That's, that's ridiculous. And he said, too bad, Hughes. Too damn bad. Sorry, I said it a second time. Oh, yeah. Your audience is going to be furious with me. So my, the, answer, the answer to your question is this. Um, they have asked me to play. Play is a wonderfully creative thing. To play with my playmates, which now include the two of you, by the way. We're in the sandbox together. <laughs> oh, boy. To see what we could do together to have more families flourish. Generational wealth planning. What can we do to have more families flourish? And then there's one more purpose. So I'm, but I'm going to speak to this this way. Aristotle, one of the great Western minds that ever lived back in the 400 BC, made a statement that is at the heart of this foundation. A flourishing society is composed of flourishing families as its building blocks. So you are joining me today, as is everyone who's listening in, to this question, do they want their families to live in a flourishing society because there's only one way to have it. Their family must flourish. Aristotle was absolutely right. The building block of any flourishing society must be flourishing families. So what the foundation is about is doing everything we can to enable families, have help by men like the two of you and your firm, to think about the question from that perspective. Not only are we gonna flourish, we're sure we'd like to do that, but we agree that our grandchildren cannot live in a flourishing society if we didn't put the time in for our own family to flourish. It's impossible. Yeah. You know, I, I, what I think about that, and I look across the landscape, even in our own firm where we have a lot of flourishing families, but divorce rate is so high. And Said how does how is that? How do you overcome that and, a, and still have a flourishing family? I believe you can do it. Well, I'm going to give you a very short answer because we've kept our audience long. <laughs> <laughs> and we could go on, I know, for That's hours. Right. And enjoy. But right. I'm going to I'm going to say something really radical. If you don't think some of the things I've said today are radical, <laughs> will as you think about them. Sure. Okay. The biggest fear of almost everybody is when there's going to be a wedding that the person joining the family, quote unquote, from the other side 
is a threat to the human beings and the property of the existing family. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So here's the radical thought. The only person who ever chooses a family is somebody marrying into it. Okay. So if you want divorce, if you want trouble, look at that person as a threat. If you want to try to have a flourishing family, ask yourself, are we positively attracting? Oh my goodness, when I look in the mirror, don't ask me that question. Why would anybody choose us? Right. <laughs> but that's exactly what's happening, isn't it? Yeah. It's turned around. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, I can simply say, if you want to reduce divorce, I'm very serious about this. And which is a tremendous liability on the balance sheet of a family. Right. Look at the question from day one, are we positively attracting to that person? Because he or she is making a decision about that, not just the member they're marrying. Well, I can tell you that changes everything in your consciousness. Sure, sure. You move from fear to opportunity. You may move from threat to building something. True. This is not Pollyanna, guys. This is the actual on-the-ground reality of human beings living in this thing called family. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. Mr. Hughes, thank you. About. Thank you so much for your time. And hopefully we can do this again uh, uh, sometime. Uh, if I'm ever in uh, Colorado, I might look you up. Come say hello. <laughs> In my joy. Take care, Jimmy. <laughs> All right. Have a great day. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.